your favorite football team, the Texas Longhorns, came in at number 11 on the preseason AP poll. Were they too high? Were they too low? Just right. We discuss on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns. You are Locked on Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com. Sites Locked On today to get started. And on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, we are discussing the Longhorns coming in at number 11 in the AP poll. Then in the second segment, Sark had media availability yesterday after yesterday's practice, right? And so we discuss in the second segment. In the last segment, we have a recruiting check-in with the 2024 recruiting class. All of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Finally got my tracker down, right? We are 18 days away from Texas playing football in DKR, even less days away from college football in week zero. So it's crazy. You know, football has the longest offseason ever. You know, it's like seven months in the NFL, like nine months in college football, depending on where your team stops playing. And so to be, you know, less than 20 days away from seeing Texas take the field in DKR is just crazy. I can't wait. You know, and it's getting intense. You know, the intensity is ratcheting up a little bit. Every practice means a little bit more. Every, uh, you know, competition in a position group means a little bit more. Every scrimmage means a little bit more as we get closer to the season. And, you know, hopefully it's a special one for Texas. And hopefully they can live up to uh, this preseason ranking in the AP poll at number 11. And hopefully, once again, right, when the season ends, they'll be higher than number 11 somewhere squarely in the top 10. So when we look at this AP poll, uh, the preseason AP poll, you know, a lot of people say oh, AP polls don't matter. These preseason polls and rankings, none of them matter to you. Right. They matter a lot to me as a content creator. I've been waiting for a week for this to come out so I can talk about it on the show. But, you know, essentially they don't really matter. Right. What Texas does on the field will weigh far more than us being ranked number 11 in the preseason AP poll. But, you know, I do think it shows you know, what smart people and the people that matter think about this Texas football team. And it's clear that everybody in college football that means something, everybody that knows a little bit about college football thinks that Texas is the premier team in the Big 12 and thinks that Texas will take a huge step this year relative to their production on the field in previous years. So when we look at Texas being number 11, you know, are they too high? Definitely not. You know, I think that when you look at what Steve Sarkeesian has built, the development, the continuity on the coaching staff, the talent they've brought in, the schedule that they face this year, which is not daunting by any means. I think you can certainly make the case that Texas is the 11th best team in the country or should be at least. Are they too low? Definitely not. You know, I think every team above them uh, either is a legit national championship contender or was better than Texas last season. And I think that matters. So I think they're just right at number 11. And like I said, hopefully uh, their production on the field leads them to being in the top 10 or the top five at the end of the season. They're the highest ranked Big 12 team by far. And I think all the smart people, everybody in the world, maybe outside of Lubbock, Texas, Manhattan, Kansas, and 
maybe Norman, Oklahoma, if they're still drinking Kool-Aid up there, think that Texas is the best team in the Big 12 and should win the Big 12 conference this year. So they come in at number 11. Kansas State is the next closest Big 12 team at 16, which I think is a big gap, especially considering Kansas State won the conference last year. And it's the highest preseason AP ranking for the Texas Longhorns since 2019. We know in 2018, we came off a really good season, probably the best season in recent memory for Texas. They won 10 games that year under Tom Herman, did make it to the Big 12 championship game before they lost to Oklahoma. So they deserved the preseason ranking of number 10 in 2019. But of course, they didn't live up to it in 2019. Hopefully, they live up to this preseason ranking in 2023 a little bit better than they did in that 2019 season following the 10 win big 12 championship game appearance season in 2018. So what does being number 11 in the preseason AP poll mean for Texas? Well, one Texas and Alabama could be a top 10 matchup, right? We assume that Texas and Alabama will both come into that game one and oh, right? I don't think Texas will have any trouble going against rice. Let me knock on wood, make sure the boys out there ready to play and don't embarrass me. Right. And then I don't even have to look at Alabama's schedule, right? I know they're not playing anybody in week one that could even remotely challenge them. Right. So both teams will be one and oh going into week two. And we know Texas is sitting at 11 right outside the top 10. You don't expect too many teams in the top 10 to play a matchup in week one that could threaten their top 10 status. But LSU and Florida State are playing the back end of a home and home, right? They played the first game last year. They're playing the first game this year. Both of those teams are top 10. I think LSU is even top five, maybe. They could be six. But both of those teams are top 10 right now, right? And so typically, even though I don't think this is fair, I don't think if you lose to another top 10 team, you should drop out of the top 10. But when you have 10 1 0 teams, it's kind of hard to justify an 0 and 1 team being in the top 10. It's likely that either LSU or Florida State, after a loss, will drop out of the top 10. And it would seem as though Texas would be the most likely candidate to jump up into the top 10, making that a top 10 matchup against Alabama in week two. And let's not act like there's not a lot of people in the media and in college football that would benefit from marketing this matchup as a top 10 matchup in week two. So uh, with them being ranked 11th and LSU and Florida State playing each other in week one, there's a good chance that Texas and Alabama will be playing each other as top 10 teams. The second thing it means for Texas is as of now, you have four ranked teams on your schedule. I've said that Texas has a pretty favorable schedule from my eye, right? When you look at it, they only leave the state of Texas twice, going to Alabama and Iowa State. You play seven games in DKR, and the way you beat up on Oklahoma last year, the way it looked after halftime, the Cotton Bowl might as well be DKR too, right? So you have a bunch of home games, and your road games really aren't too daunting, right? You play at TCU, at U of H, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say too daunting because then it counts Alabama and Iowa State, but I had already mentioned it, right? Outside of that, your road games don't see, t- seem to be too troubling uh, for the Longhorns. You don't have to travel too far to play uh, those games. So you have Alabama, who is currently ranked at four in game two. They'll obviously be ranked when you play against them. Kansas State is 16th. You play them in game nine. I would assume that Kansas State would still be ranked. Not sure where, but they'll still be ranked. Um, when we get to game nine, TCU was interesting. They're currently ranked 17th. You know, I don't think that they will fall off as much as most people think. I think they still have a really good coach and they brought in some really good pieces to that roster, but they obviously won't go undefeated through the regular season. So I think it's a toss up when we get to game 10, if TCU will still be ranked or not, you know, even though I think they're a formidable opponent either way. And then Oklahoma is currently ranked at 20th. 
Uh, we play them in game six, as always. I think Oklahoma has a pretty favorable schedule as well. I would be surprised if Oklahoma is not ranked when we get to the Red River showdown. And I actually think Oklahoma will be ranked higher than 20 by the time we get to that game. So I think Texas is still significantly better than Oklahoma. But in terms of the rankings, I think it'll be marketed as a pretty interesting matchup going into that game, even though Texas probably will still win by double digits. The third thing it means is that Texas will be on upset alert all season, right? We know this is a huge season for Texas. All of the expectations are for them to win the Big 12. This is their last season in the Big 12. So we know how much that would mean for the Longhorns to get it, you know, after not having a won a Big 12 championship since 2009. And the way it looks, of course, when you play Alabama in week two, they're going to be ranked higher than you. But for the next 10 games after that, every team you play should, if you take care of business, should be ranked below you. Even if you lose to Alabama in week two, I don't see a scenario in which you would drop below Kansas State at 16 or by the time you played Oklahoma, Kansas State, TCU or whoever they would be ranked higher than Texas. So for 10 straight games, Texas should be ranked if they take care of business and they should be ranked higher than every team they play against, which gives the teams you're playing against an opportunity to knock you off. And we already know that teams are going to play hard and you know play lights out and give 110% effort because they're playing Texas, period. But if they're playing Texas and they have a chance to knock them lower or out of the AP poll, knock them out of the Big 12 championship conversation, possibly knock them out of the college football playoff conversation, they're going to be licking their chops to be able to do that. So this is a different type of pressure for the Longhorns where 10 games in a 12 game season, you're likely going to be on upset alert. How will they handle that? How will they handle being the chased, right, instead of chasing, you know, what they've done for the last decade? How will they handle being the ones with the target on their back? for a legitimate reason this season, right? Not just because of the hype and the brand and all of that, but they'll have a target on their back because they'll be the team everybody in the conference will be chasing. And my last thing is Texas has a path to the college football playoff, right? I know we're not expecting that this year. We're not putting that on the team and saying they need to do that this year, but you absolutely have a path to the college football playoff. Now, there's not a game in the back half of your schedule or in the Big 12 schedule that matches the juice of Alabama. But if you could beat an Alabama team, right? And then you could beat, let's say, Kansas State, TCU, and Oklahoma are still ranked. If TCU is not ranked, I think Texas Tech very well could jump into one of those ranked teams. They were the highest voted on team that didn't make it. So I guess they're 26th in the AP poll. So very well, you could end up beating three or four ranked teams this year. And even though the Big 12 doesn't look super strong, I think four ranked teams with one loss or no losses could put Texas in strong consideration for the college football playoff. So I know that's something we're not expecting this year, but Texas certainly has a path to the college football playoff. And if they win that game on September 9th, then their college football playoff conversation will firmly start on September 10th. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we get into Sark's media availability yesterday. My takeaways on some of the important things we heard from our leader of our favorite football program. All right. You don't have to choose between better hair growth and your health. Nutrafol provides a whole body health approach for men that promotes healthier hair. No drugs, no compromises, just better hair. Men think losing their hair is inevitable. Take control of your hair's future with Nutrafol's science-backed hair growth supplement for men. 
Lutrophil is the number one dermatologist, rec dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth, visible thickness and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol's hair growth supplements use physician formulated natural science backed ingredients. Their drug free patented technology provides consistent, reliable results without compromising your sexual health. Take the first step to visibly thicker healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com slash men and enter the promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE in all caps. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash men and enter promo code locked on college. That's all caps. That's neutrafall.com slash men promo code locked on college. Visit today. Hey, this is completely unrelated. Maybe I should have said this during the ad read, but my dad ball, you know what I'm saying? So I'm still holding on, you know, to the fade, but my dad is bald, you know, so I might have to tap in to neutral and make sure I don't go bald, right? And <laughs> I can keep this fade for as long as possible. All right. I know you don't want to hear about me and talk about me, right? You want to hear about Steve Sarkeesian and his media availability yesterday. And so I had some takeaways and I'm really becoming more and more fond of Steve Sarkeesian. You know, um, just every time I listen to him speak, every time I listen to him talk about this Texas football team, every time I listen to him talk about his players, every time I hear things about, you know, him on recruiting trips and everything, he's just such an easy guy to root for. Um, he's overcome so much adversity to be in the position he's in and to be coaching at a school like the University of Texas. Obviously, his offensive pedigree speaks for itself. He's just uh, a great person, and I'm really rooting for him to figure it out at the University of Texas. And I say figure it out like he's been bad. He hasn't been what we expected, but I think he's done a lot of really good things. And I think this is the year that Steve Sarkeesian solidifies himself or cements himself as a top you know, head coach in college football where he belongs, you know, and I think if he didn't have some of the more serious roadblocks in the past, we already would be discussing Steve Sarkeesian as a top head coach in college football. He probably, he probably also wouldn't be at the university of Texas, you know, without those pitfalls. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I'm not happy that that happened, but I'm happy that it led him to the 40 acres. So some of my takeaways from the media availability yesterday, he talked about in the scrimmage having to clean up offensive penalties and turnovers. And obviously those are huge. Those are things that can beat you, um, you know, throughout the season. Those are things that beat us at times last season. And I think, you know, cleaning up the offensive penalties, you know, you're moving a lot of different offensive linemen around. And maybe that's a reason for that. That's probably something that would happen in a scrimmage that would be less likely to happen than in the game. But, you know, that's obviously something you want to hone in on and clean up. And I think, you know, that kind of points to Jake Major's importance in this offense, right? Because we talk about, oh, okay, well, he may not be the strongest. He may not be able to move people in the run game, right? He graded pretty well on pro football focus in terms of pass blocking last year, but he doesn't really jump off the screen when you watch him, right? So you say, okay, what benefit does he bring to the team, right? Why does he continue to start every year, even though we hear reports that Kyle Flood is trying to replace him, right? And it's because his intelligence, right? Knowing the offense, there's a ton of motions and shifts, right? Being able to be steady in the middle of that, you know, offensive line call protections and being able to execute at a high level without pre-snap penalties. I think that's the benefit. That's the value that Jake Majors brings to this offensive line. And, you know, maybe when you're rotating so many people in that position, you see, you know, more penalties and more inconsistency on that offensive line and then turnovers. Right. You know, Steve Sarkeesian said there was about three turnovers 
in like 130 plays, you know, during the course of a normal football game, you're probably going to be around 80 to 100. Um, but still, he said that's too much, right? You had the pick six, which obviously, you know, you don't want to put points on the board for the other team that Malik Murphy threw uh, to Manny Muhammad. You had the interception that Quinn Ewers threw to Jaron Thompson. Now, Steve Sarkeesian came out and said that that was not on um, Quinn Ewers. It was more, you know, miscommunication with the receiver. But nonetheless, they count the same in a real game, right? Whether it's on Quinn Ewers or not, it's still an interception. And then the forced fumble, right? I think he said Malik Muhammad forced the fumble and Leonga LaFowle picked it up once again, right? You can't have that in a real game. So we know turnovers are going to happen. We know the team isn't going to play perfect, but limiting those turnovers, whether it's in a scrimmage or a real game situation, will bode well for the Texas Longhorns this year. You can't give the ball away, can't give easy opportunities to the other team. One other thing he talked about was the defense being disciplined with their rushing lanes, right? We know that uh, they did a really good job of stopping the run in the scrimmage. They also did a really good job of getting to the quarterback. But he said that the long runs that you know, the team got either from the quarterback or maybe that long 50 yard run from Keelan Robinson on fourth and run could have been prevented if the defense was being disciplined, staying in their gaps and rushing in the correct lane. So we're going to play some really athletic quarterbacks this year. You know, Jalen Milrow, um, Jalen Daniels are two teams or two players that can absolutely break you with their legs. And then you have some other players that can certainly make plays with their legs, like a Quinn Ewers, right? They're not going to, you know, go out there and, you know, <laughs> sweep you to death or quarterback run you to death. But if they catch you slipping, they can take off for 10 to 15 yards uh, and move the chains, right? You know, we saw what Donovan Smith did last year. You might play against him this year at U of H, right? So you're going to play against some athletic quarterbacks this year. If you can't, you know, stay disciplined, stay in your gaps and, you know, make sure, you know, you're containing them, then they can hit you over the head, right? And hit their head on the goalpost like Arch Manning did, right? In that scrimmage, okay? Uh, another thing he talked about was dealing with fatigue and maintaining that intensity for 60 minutes. I think this is a huge thing, and we know that since he's been here, I don't even want to go through the stat, uh, stats, but Steve Sarkeesian and this team has struggled with second halves, you know, blowing leads at halftime and just not being able to maintain that same level of intensity in the second half that they did in the first. And so, you know, that's something that he said he's really been working on. And he said the team is really conditioned well. They run well. But do you have football? Are you in football shape? Right. Can you play a football game at a high level for three and a half hours or 60 minutes on the field? Right. And I think he said that's the point that he's trying to get them to. He said that they had like a simulated halftime after the first half of the scrimmage. And he said that he wasn't as happy or he was a little bit disappointed on how they looked when they came out and what would have been the third quarter. So that's something that they're still working on. And I think that's key, right? Like you said, that mental toughness and, you know, being able to battle that fatigue and being able to play hard for 60 minutes on the field and being able to play hard in the heat for three and a half hours, because, you know, this is a team that probably is going to have a lot of halftime leads this year. And you don't want to have to worry about giving those leads up in the second half because you're not playing the same brand of football that you did in the first and second quarter. Right. And we've seen that for two years now at the 40 acres, this team absolutely has to bring that same intensity, that same dog, that same fight, that same grit in the third and fourth quarter that they bring in the first and second quarter. If they do, we'll see a better product in year three under Steve Sarkeesian talking about Malik Murphy specifically. I really like this because, you know, I talked yesterday on the podcast, how there had been so many conflicting reports, right? One report you see says Malik Murphy looks lost, right? Like damn near describing him like he doesn't even belong out there, right? 
then there's another report saying, yeah, he threw a pick six, but he looks good, right? When we saw him in the spring game, he looked like the best quarterback on the field, right? But then every other report is inconsistent. Thankfully, we could go straight to the horse's mouth in this case. And Steve Sarkeesian said, you know, with Malik Murphy, he makes splash plays, right? And it's really easy for him to make splash plays because of his size and his arm talent, right? But what needs to be more consistent is making those splash plays and making those big plays without the one or two mistakes that comes with it, right? Because that's pretty much what we had at the quarterback position last year, and that's not good enough to win football games at a high level. We saw last year Quinn Ewers made a ton of splash plays, and he made a ton of plays that were like, damn, like there's probably three quarterbacks in the country that can make that play. But then there were also two to three throws a game where we were like, why did you do that, Queen? What like what sense did that make? Right. And it sounds like that's the stage of development that Malik Murphy is in right now, which is OK. He's a young quarterback. Right. He's going to make those three or four splash plays a game. But he's also going to make those two or three throws that are a little bit head scratching and could put the team in a bad position. So we have clarity on where Malik Murphy is right now and what he looks like. And he looks like a young quarterback, you know, and hopefully as he develops more, um, he starts to, you know, develop those kind of head scratching plays or those plays that lose you football games out of his repertoire. And the good thing is, is when he does play for the Texas football team this year, it'll most likely be in low leverage situations. I'm knocking on wood. If Quinn Ewers can stay healthy, you'll bring Malik Murphy in with a double digit, you know, touchdown lead or a double digit lead. You're up by multiple touchdowns. You know, he's coming in, you know, playing with house money, right? And I think if you can bring him in in that situation and get him some real game reps, that's going to benefit him. And hopefully we have a strong competition next year, you know, between Arch Manning and Malik Murphy. But we got clarity straight from the horse's mouth. And we know Malik Murphy can play football. He's just a little bit turnover prone, right? <laughs> and then DJ Campbell, the last person I want to talk about, the last thing I want to talk about from Sark's media availability, he was asked what DJ Campbell needs to work on at this spot. He said that DJ Campbell right now is around 340. He wants to keep him in the high 330s. You know, talked about his athleticism, um, just his physical profile, his strength or whatever. And he said that, you know, for DJ Campbell to take the next step, and it seems like he'll be starting at that right guard position on September 2nd, is just trusting his ability, right? You know, we heard uh, about Jalen Catalan about a week ago. Like, when he knows, he goes, right? And I think that's the thing for DJ Campbell. Like, when he knows what he's supposed to do, he can do it at a very high level, a level that would match up to that five-star ranking he had out of Arlington Bowie. And then trusting Christian Jones and Jake Majors. You know, he said that when you're in between two players that have three, four years of experience and you have very little experience, you know, you have to trust those guys that have been there, done that, right? And if they tell you we're going to block a situation this way, just listen to them and do it, right? Because it's better for the team. If they tell you we're going to block a situation this way, do it, right? And I think that if he can learn to trust his ability, learn to trust his teammates and the coaches and play within the system, then you're looking at a very athletic specimen specimen at the guard position that could take this offensive line and this running game to the next level. So I love Sark's media availability yesterday. Felt like it gave us a lot of good insight into the scrimmage and this football team less than 20 days away from the start of the regular season. A quick word from our sponsors and then a quick update on where Texas is on the recruiting trail in 2024 as we currently stand. So just some quick recruiting updates. Uh, Wardell Mack was a huge target for this Texas football team. It was either yesterday or the day before. I think yesterday. I'm getting my days mixed up now. Uh, he committed to the University of Florida. You know, a lot of people felt like that was a, a Texas or LSU battle with him being in the state of Louisiana. I had heard that he had tried to commit to Florida twice um, and that didn't happen. So I always knew that Florida was kind of a 
distant third team, you know, but when I heard that he had tried to commit to them twice, I obviously didn't think he would end up committing to them. But, you know, I think that's a big loss. You know, when you lose Wardell Mack and Corey and Gibson, um, you know, those are two corners that Texas was really high on and uh, Selman Bridges that went to Arkansas as well. Those were three corners that Texas was really high on and they all ultimately uh, chose different schools. So I think that you're good at the corner position for a few years, especially if you can land Kobe Black, who we're about to talk about. But nonetheless, you know, those are some misses. And, you know, I wish them the best. And hopefully Texas can, can continue to recruit those players through the whistle. And, you know, like we saw with Colton Vasek and Anthony Hill last year, if Texas is doing well and maybe the program they're committed to doesn't look like they're doing as well as Texas, you know, maybe they can flip their decision before they sign. That's certainly uh, very possible. Kobe Black. Not sure when he'll announce. There's been a lot of rumors that he has committed to Texas already. People have been saying that, uh, you know, he committed, you know, on FaceTime. You know, I'm a knock on wood in case that's not true, <laughs> you know, but um, he's been a Texas lean for a long time. And I think, you know, he released his top five schools after Colin Simmons committed or maybe right before. And I think Colin Simmons committing to the University of Texas was kind of, you know, the not the deal breaker, the deal sealer, right? That was kind of the, the hammer on the nail of the head that solidified Kobe Black coming to the University of Texas. So um, former teammates with Jelani McDonald, he would reunite with him, uh, a five-star corner, one of the best players in the country, certainly one of the best players in the state of Texas, right in your backyard. And like I said, for Texas to compete at the highest level, you got to keep the best players in the state of Texas, in the state of Texas, and have them wearing Texas across their chest on Saturdays. Dominique McKinley is announcing on September 1st out of the state of Louisiana. You know, I think LSU feels a little bit unsure about him right now. Oklahoma felt great about that kid that just went to Missouri yesterday, and he went to Missouri. And I think Texas feels really good about Dominique McKinley. If I had to guess, if I had to surmise, I would think that Texas is the leader for Dominique McKinley right now, which is huge. And I think this would be the biggest recruitment win for Bo Davis since he's been at the University of Texas since 2021 getting a big dominant physical player up front like that can really anchor your defensive line for years to come and of course you put him next to Colin Simmons and that's a long night for a lot of offensive coordinators and quarterbacks so he's announcing on September 1st in two weeks and hopefully he's announcing that he'll be putting Texas across his chest on Saturdays on September 1st Brandon Baker the smoke is getting louder and louder right five-star offensive tackle from modern day in California you know I talked about yesterday or whenever right that we built somewhat of a pipeline uh bringing in Spencer Shannon who got a shout out in the media availability yesterday from Steve Sarkeesian um and so it looks like it's a Texas Oregon battle but right now it seems like Texas is firmly in the lead uh for a five-star offensive tackle and how could they not be right when you see what has happened with Kristen Jones but you know more importantly when you see what's happened with Kelvin Banks right Kelvin Banks went from not even enrolling early to after playing three games being a lock <laughs> to be a first round draft pick in three years so if Brandon and Baker, you know, wants that to be his reality, then he should come see Kyle Flood at the University of Texas. And then two players we don't talk about enough, Ryan Wingo, uh, you know, right now is down to Texas and Missouri. Um, not sure, you know, how Texas feels. I know they're going to recruit him through the whistle. I would think that Missouri feels really good, especially after pulling in uh, the kid yesterday out of Missouri. You know, I think they have a feeling that they can do a really good job of keeping those two five stars in state this year. Missouri has a really good NIL program and uh, they've done a lot to build up that program over the years. So um, I would not be surprised if Ryan Wingo goes to the university of Missouri or if he commits to Missouri, but I think obviously you have to consider the university of Texas, especially given uh, you know, what Steve Sarkeesian is doing on the offensive side of the ball. And the same thing with Micah Hudson, you know, I think Texas tech is a program on the rise. I think Texas tech has a lot to like. I think Joey McGuire is a hell of a coach and program builder. 
builder. He's somebody that you are going to you want to go to war with. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think that selfishly, you know, and maybe just objectively, I think that Micah Hudson could produce more and be in a better, more high flying offense at the University of Texas. So those are two recruitments that are continue, you know, will continue to go through the whistle regardless of where they commit. Um, but Ryan Wingo and Micah Hudson would look a lot better, you know, in that burnt orange with Texas across their chest playing as Steve Sarkeesian's offense. So that's an update on the 2024 recruiting class. I fully expect Texas to at least pull in three more five stars, um, which is a really good sign, you know, compared to the class they already have. And like I said, it looks like Steve Sarkeesian will be able to pull in his third straight top five recruiting class, which is nuts, even at the University of Texas. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, 18 days away from the Texas Longhorns taking the field. Hook them. Peace.